0: I wanted to continue with the story of Gilgamesh, reading again from Andrew George's translation. Uh, In the last episode on Gilgamesh, you'll remember, we met the wild man out of nature, the man named Enkidu, who was created specifically by the gods to sort of calm Gilgamesh down. And we saw him just as he was about to Uh, leave nature for good and enter the city. Uh, What happens in the intervening time is that he and Gilgamesh, after fighting and basically fighting to a draw, they become great friends, and they go on their sort of chest-pounding adventures together. Um, A recent translator, uh, Stephen Mitchell, whose version of the poem was published around the time of the Iraq War, very nearly described, I think, uh, Gilgamesh and and Enkidu's journey to the cedar forest to kill and indeed decapitate the horrendous monster who is guarding the cedar forests named Humbaba. Uh, Stephen Mitchell uh, sort of saw this as a great, uh, almost imperialistic event, and I'd never quite thought of it that way before, but it might work that way. In any case, the, uh, uh, their success at uh, defeating Humbaba uh, does give Enkidu and Gilgamesh an excuse to pound their chests more and more. And they come back to Uruk and uh, sort of uh, make chaos for themselves. Uh, there's a wonderful scene in which Enkidu, who as we'll remember, was created by the gods for the purpose of calming Gilgamesh down, instead comes to enjoy the life he's been given so much that he hurls one of the uh, great insults in world literature at the goddess Ishtar. I believe that uh, the goddess Ishtar, who herself uh, uh, has one of the great lines in world literature, all of these things happening in one of the very first and oldest recorded poems that we have, Um, I believe that Gilgamesh and Enkidu are bragging about all that they've done, and Ishtar goes to her father and basically says, uh, Dad, if you don't let me try and fix this, I'm going to basically open up the underworld, and then you'll see what happens. Uh, She does open up the underworld, and what happens is that Enkidu gets a hold of one of the sacred bulls, I believe, of Inanna, of Ishtar, and kills it and uh, throws one of its limbs at the goddess, which is entirely too much indeed. Um, And what happens after that is that uh, Enkidu becomes sick and eventually Enkidu dies. And it uh, it is this death and Gilgamesh's experience of his friend's death that leads to the rest of the story. Um, but what what I wanted to read here is uh, Enkidu on his deathbed. And then one of the most amazing scenes that I know of uh, where Enkidu relates a dream of having gone to the underworld. And I believe that outside of perhaps the Egyptian pyramid texts, uh, which I think were more we would consider more ritual texts than literary texts, I believe that Enkidu's description of the underworld is one of the earliest that we have in literature. But before we get there, Enkidu uh, is on his deathbed. He knows he is going to die. And what does he do? He curses the hunter that discovered him and the hunter that begged the gods to create him. Um, and he curses, uh, he curses Shamhat, the harlot, the one who civilized him. And this is what he says: "I appeal to you, Shamash, for my life so precious. As for the hunter, the trapper man, who let me be not as great as my friend, may the hunter be not as great." as his friend destroy his profit diminish his income may his share be cut in your presence the house where he enters may its god leave by the window after he had cursed the hunter to its heart content he decided also to curse shamhat the harlot come shamhat i will fix your destiny a doom to endure for all eternity I will curse you with a mighty curse. My curse shall afflict you now and forthwith. A household to delight you in you shall not acquire, never to reside in the midst of a family. In the young women's chamber you shall not sit. Your finest garment the ground shall defile. Your festive gown the drunkard shall stain in the dirt. Things of beauty you shall never acquire then there are some gaps in the poem of the potter no shall you have no table for a banquet the people's abundance shall be laid in your house the bed you delight in shall be a miserable bench the junction of highways shall be where you sit a field of ruins shall be where you sleep the shadow of the rampart shall be where you stand thorn and briar shall skin your feet Drunk and sober shall strike your cheek, shall be plaintive and claim against you. The roof of your house no builder shall plaster. In your bedroom the owl shall roost. At your table never shall banquet take place. And he continues for another seven lines that are actually missing. And when it picks up, he is still going. Because you made me weak, who was undefiled, yes, In the wild you weakened me, who was undefiled. Shamash heard what he had spoken. Straight away from the sky there cried out a voice. O Enkidu, why curse Shamhat the harlot, who fed you bread that was fit for a god, and poured you ale that was fit for a king, who clothed you in a splendid garment, and gave you as companion the handsome Gilgamesh. And now, Gilgamesh, your friend and your brother, will lay you out on a magnificent bed. On a bed of honor he will lay you out. He will place you on his left, on a seat of repose. The rulers of the underworld will kiss your feet. The people of Uruk he will have mourn and lament you. The thriving people he will fill full of woe for you. After you are gone, his hair will be matted in mourning. Clad in the skin of a lion he will wander the wild. And Kidu heard the words of Shamash the hero, and there are some gaps. His heart, so angry, grew calm. His heart, so furious, grew calm. Come Shamhat, I will fix your destiny. My mouth that cursed you shall bless you as well. Governors shall love you and noblemen too. At one league off men shall slap their thighs. At two leagues off, they shall shake out their hair. No soldier shall be slow to drop his belt for you. Obsidian he shall give you, lapis lazuli and gold. Earrings and jewelry shall be what he gives you. Ishtar, the ablest of gods, shall gain you entrance to the man whose home is established and wealth heaped high. For you, his wife shall be deserted, though mother of seven. As for Enkidu, his mind was troubled. He lay on his own and began to ponder. What was on his mind, he told to his friend. My friend, in the course of the night I had such a dream. The heavens thundered, the earth gave echo, and there was I standing between them. A man there was, grim his expression. Just like a thunderbird, his features were frightening. His hands were a lion's paws, his claws an eagle's talons. He seized me by the hair, he overpowered me, I struck him, but back he sprang like a skipping rope. He struck me, and like a raft capsized me. Underfoot he crushed me, like a mighty wild bull, drenching my body with poisonous slaver. Save me, my friend, and the line breaks off. You were afraid of him, but you, and the line breaks off, and picks up five lines later. He struck me and turned me into a dove. He bound my arms like the wings of a bird to lead me captive to the house of darkness, seat of Irkala, to the house which none who enters ever leaves on the path that allows no journey back, to the house whose residents are deprived of light, where soil is their sustenance and clay their food, where they are clad like birds in coats of feathers and see no light but dwell in darkness. On door and bolt the dust lay thick, on the house of dust was poured a deathly quiet. In the house of dust that I entered I looked around me, saw the crowns and throng. There were the crowned heads who'd ruled the land since days of yore, who'd served the roast at the tables of Anu and Enlil, who'd proffered baked bread, and poured them cool water from skins. In the house of dust that I entered there were the En priests and Lagar priests, and there were lustration priests and Lumahu priests. There were the great gods Gudapashtu priests. There was Etana. There was Shakan. There was the queen of the netherworld, the goddess Ereshkigal. Before her sat Belet Seri, the scribe of the netherworld, holding a tablet, reading aloud in her presence. She raised her head and she saw me. Who was it fetched this man here? Who was it Brought here this fellow. And it says, the remainder of Enkidu's vision of hell is lost. At the end of his speech, he comments himself to Gilgamesh and says, I who endured all hardships with you, remember me, my friend, don't forget all that I went through. And Gilgamesh replies, my friend saw a vision which will never be equaled. The day he had the dream, his strength was exhausted, and Kidu was cast down. He lay one day sick, and then a second. And Kidu lay on his bed. His sickness worsened. A third day, and a fourth day, the sickness of Enkidu worsened. A fifth day, a sixth, and a seventh, an eighth, a ninth, and a tenth, the sickness of Enkidu worsened. And the text becomes fragmentary. An eleventh day and a twelfth. Enkidu lay on the bed. He called for Gilgamesh. Spoke to his friend. My God has taken against me, my friend. I do not die like one who falls in the midst of battle. I was afraid of combat and... My friend, one who falls in combat, makes his name. But I, I do not fall in combat and shall not make my name. And Andrew George writes, The description of Enkidu's final death throes, which no doubt filled the remaining 30 or so lines of this tablet, is still to be recovered. Again, uh, for reasons that I uh, can't quite uh, comment on or figure out, this early description of the underworld is something that has never left me. Um, But it is worth saying here, especially given Kidu's last words, that uh, he wants to make his name and that only those who fall in combat are the ones that make their name. Uh, It's worth, and and also because I read this poem to my daughter while she was still in the womb, uh, it's worth commenting upon the fact that For some people, uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu basically seem like uh, uh, the kind of uh, violent jocks that uh, many of us encountered in our past, just chest-thumping guys uh, who these days might be roaming the streets revving their pickup trucks, Um, and especially given the way that uh, Shamhat the harlot is treated, and how she is blamed for all of Enkidu's troubles just as Eve eventually becomes blamed for the world's troubles uh, at least uh, in Christianity uh, due to what happens in the book of Genesis these things do need to be spoken about uh, The the whole thing about stories like these is not that they should be taken literally as some sort of Gospel truth or gospel statement about how we should view human beings or people in the world. Uh, these are things to be discussed and talked about again and again. And it is worth noting that, um, at least for me, that uh, I would almost certainly find Enkidu and Gilgamesh sort of reprehensible if I uh, found them in real life somewhere, you know, in the grocery store. Sort of acting out and acting like fools. And if one of these uh, men's friends happened to die and the other friend mourned him and wondered why his friend had to die, I don't know how much sympathy I would have for him. But uh, it seems that this is the power of literature, really and truly. It is to allow you to have sympathy and insight with people that you otherwise might abhor or just, at the very least, dismiss. Um, So that all of these things are worth continuing to talk about, Uh, not to dismiss. And we shouldn't not read Gilgamesh, just because it seems very clear that women had a very hard time back in that day. Um, There are still things to learn, even from simply saying that, and simply seeing worth in the poems and in the literature itself. Uh, the next episode where I read from Gilgamesh will be the longest and I will do a lot less talking outside of the poem at that time. So until then. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one